Business Prorata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas Bank here. I'm Dan Vermack. On today's show, a digital media mega merger and the big piece of legislation that could actually be helped by impeachment. But first, a new threat to U.S. manufacturing. So earlier this week, a major index of U.S. manufacturing showed the lowest reading in over a decade. It also was the second straight month of contraction and came amid declining U.S. exports. And just to show how seriously the stock markets took this, the Dow lost more than 200 points right after the report came out because any sustained decline to U.S. manufacturing is believed by many to be a precursor to recession. Now, there was some subsequent manufacturing data that softened this story a bit, but it is tough to argue that the trade war isn't taking a major bite out of U.S. manufacturing, despite President Trump routinely and mostly baselessly talking about how jobs are coming home from China. But what Trump's rhetoric really overlooks is the idea of U.S. jobs going overseas was never a one-way flow. Chinese jobs and jobs from other countries also came here, including manufacturing ones. And all of this bellicose uncertainty can have an immediate impact in terms of paused plans by manufacturers and, in the long term, a lasting decrease in the number of opportunities for U.S. workers, particularly as other countries significantly grow their own manufacturing bases. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios reporter Erica Pandy. But first, this. This episode is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank. Know everything about coding, but not so much about banking? For more than 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has been helping high-growth companies navigate through each stage of the startup journey. Stay tuned to learn more. Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas. Bank here. We're joined now by Axios reporter Erica Pandy. You know, when the White House talks about the U.S.-China trade war, they talk a lot about manufacturing and specifically bringing manufacturing jobs back from China to the U.S. But you're arguing that the trade war actually could potentially cost U.S. manufacturing jobs. Explain. Absolutely. I mean, when... President Trump talks about manufacturing jobs on the campaign trail. And then, you know, when he was elected, he blamed globalization for jobs disappearing, American jobs going overseas to China, to other places and, you know, the Rust Belt suffering. But that globalization has gone both ways. There have been countries that have moved their factories here. I mean, think of Toyota, BMW, Foxconn, countries that want to be in the U.S. because they either want to take advantage of the talent pool here in manufacturing or, you know, they just want to be closer to the market here, especially if they have to ship something heavy overseas. So, I mean, I talked to Brookings, about a fifth of the manufacturing jobs in the U.S. right now are foreign-owned companies. And so when there's a multi-front trade war going on and these companies get nervous, some companies are rethinking their place here and those jobs could disappear fast. So let's talk about that because one of the reasons why, for example, and, and we can't completely overgeneralize here, but you know, generically speaking, why a lot of Chinese companies opened U.S. manufacturing, why a lot of those automakers did that you mentioned was to be close to the U.S. market, right? It's a lot better for Toyota and, and Toyota's Japanese, not Chinese, but it's a lot easier for them to build something, say, in Alabama and ship it to the U.S market rather than build it in Japan and then have to put it on a boat and bring it here. Is it so much about the jobs that are here leaving or is it about the new jobs not necessarily coming because of the uncertainty? I think it's more of the latter, the new jobs not coming because the uncertainty. I do think there will be a little bit of shedding, but I think that is a bigger issue. I mean, if you look at Chinese investment in the U.S., it's still way, way below German investment and Japanese investment. I mean, as of 2016, China was employing about 26,000 U.S. workers in manufacturing. But if you look at Germany, Japan, several hundred thousand. But there was this dramatic sort of uptick in China's investment that you could see it potentially catching up to Germany and Japan. And that's hundreds of thousands of 
jobs that China could have added. Now, the fact it's way more uncertain if those jobs are ever going to come. We saw Chinese FDI in the U.S. crater. And FDI, just for those who don't know, foreign direct investment. So Chinese investments in the U.S. Right. So it's kind of like a lost potential, almost, like you're saying, rather than the existing jobs going away overnight. And U.S. FDI into China has dropped a lot, too. And I wonder, you know, when people have talked over the last year, really, because I guess we're kind of a year into this trade war, when people have talked about, you know, U.S. companies taking manufacturing out of China, you know, sometimes it's been bringing it back to the U.S., but usually it hasn't. Usually it's been moving it to another country, particularly in Asia. You know, Vietnam's been mentioned a bunch, et cetera. When you hear about the potential of a Chinese company taking existing manufacturing out of the U.S., is that returning it to the mainland China or is that possibly moving it to Mexico or to Canada? You know, another place you can easily deliver, but it's not inside the U.S. I think we're much more likely to see it move to someplace like Mexico. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's not it's not going to be going to Vietnam. It's not going to be going back to China. You still want to be close. You know, you still want to have that closeness to the U.S. market, that closeness to the, you know, the market surrounding the U.S. market. And I think, I mean, it'll it, America's loss will be Mexico's gain there. One other thing that's interesting when I read your story was, you know, we, when you talk trade war, there's been a lot of talk about kind of red versus blue America and where it's hurting more and where it's hurting less. And there's obviously been a lot of focus on uh, rural farmlands. Uh, and, and obviously there's been a bailout for farmers, but soybeans, et cetera. But you write actually a bunch about, for example, Arkansas. You talk about how there's a couple factories bought by Chinese companies that have basically just not opened for business because of the trade war and how there's another Chinese company's plan to build a paper mill elsewhere in Arkansas. And that's on hold. You know, when we look at Chinese manufacturers in the U.S., it does seem like a lot of it is in, for example, in the Sun Belt. Yeah, absolutely. I think Arkansas has been a huge example because there's, like, like you said, two examples there of factories that were going to be built, but then, you know, they're, they're delayed now. And th these are factories that had been closed for 10 years. China was essentially bailing them out and bringing those jobs back. The examples in the Rust Belt, in Ohio, for example, there's a big glass plant where China came in and took over an old GM plant. Those have been more successful. It looks like some of these Sun Belt factories are the ones that are getting hit hard. And these are also Republican strongholds. Final question for you, Erica. You know, there's been talk over the last week and the White House has kind of at times knocked it down, at times said maybe kind of, that there might be new U.S. rules on American institutions and pension funds, et cetera, investing in China, maybe even restricting Chinese listings in the U.S. But it seems like what you're saying, when you look at the foreign direct investment going both ways from the U.S. into China and China into the U.S., it's already going down just as a byproduct of this. It almost seems like if that's what the White House wants, it's already achieved it. I think so, too. I mean, I think it would be a final nail in the coffin. It's, it's a final kind of, you know, screw you to these Chinese-owned companies. I think what's important to think about here, too, is, you know, when President Trump tweets, I hereby order American businesses out of China, you know, we sort of shrug it off. It's a big deal, but, you know, he, he doesn't have that much influence over these CEOs. If Xi Jinping were to order something like that, you might see a very different story. Very good point. Thank you to Erica Pandy, who writes the Axios Future newsletter, which you can get at signup.axios.com. My final two, right after this. Earlier, we highlighted Silicon Valley Bank's experience with helping startups. But with Silicon Valley Bank, you're also getting a partner committed to supporting you as you strive to hit your next milestones. Perhaps that's why 50% of VC-backed tech and life science companies choose Silicon Valley Bank. Visit svb.com forward slash next to learn more. Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas. Bank here. 
Now it's time for my final two. And first up is a digital media mega merger in which Vice has agreed to acquire Refinery29, an online publisher focused on millennial women. Why it matters is that both companies used to be valued much, much higher by their venture capitalists. And the deal reflects how many of those sorts of companies are now being forced to merge to survive. Vice, for example, was once worth $5.7 billion on its own. The merger values the combined company at just around $4 billion. Refinery, meanwhile, was worth $460 million in 2016, three years ago, but now is being sold for less. Remember, raising big VC rounds at big prices can feel great at the time, and it is great for press releases, but it can become very painful when growth expectations aren't met. Vice and Refinery, both of which have cut around 10% of their staffs over the past year, are prime examples of that. And finally this morning, Axios' Steph Kite and Elena Treen report that the impeachment battle has hastened Speaker Pelosi's determination to approve the USMCA, the trade deal with Mexico and Canada that would basically replace NAFTA. In short, Democratic lawmakers feel they need something else beyond impeachment on their resumes before November 2020, particularly in vulnerable districts where the alternative is being legitimately tarred as a do-nothing Congress by their Republican rivals. As Democratic Representative Jimmy Gomez tells Axios, quote, sometimes a good crisis creates more opportunity. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Jesse Lee, have a great National Techies Day. And we'll be back on Monday with another Pro Rata Podcast.